and ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right, yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks, buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! Ditch Diggers! Coming to you live from the uh, library of witty comebacks, it is the Ditch Diggers with Mer Lafferty, Matt Wallace, and yet another special guest this week, Andrea Phillips. How are you, Andrea? Yay! I'm good. How are you? Good. We've been, uh, you're another person we've been trying to get on the show for and, and have struggled with for a variety of reasons on all sort of, all sorts of camps. And, uh, it's, it's cold here and it's, uh, now fiery, scary September and things are still shit and things are still COVID. So, uh, you know, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) this this is why we're in the library of witty comebacks because i can't fucking find any on my own i was listening to the whole thing you did just i'm like i'm really interested to see where she ends up with (laughs) (laughs) Uh ah it's it's you know award-winning professionals that's what we are that's right Uh yeah Uh but we did it we made it we're all here we're all here on the same call at the same time. And uh, that's all that matters, Smur. And that's all that matters, Andrea, that we're here together. That's all That's all you can hope for at this point, really. Yeah. Just to be together with people you like, people you respect. It's a good the time. The true treasure was friendship the yes. whole time. It was. Yes. <laughs> it's the friendship we made along the way during Murr's intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Damn, that's so, cool. I thought it was Murphy- cold. It just got colder. You talked about the state of the world, as you know, we always, we, it's sort of the new, like, acknowledgement mm-hmm. during every recording session now. You start off by acknowledging that the world still sucks. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. how are we all doing professionally? I was going to say personally, but I don't even want to get into that, to be honest <laughs> with you, but just professionally, because that's the point of the show, is we talk about professional, businessy, freelancey things. So, Mer, how is how is your week in professionalism been? surprisingly i've been doing well i've gotten into a uh i think we just in case you haven't figured it out by listening to the show matt and i have uh tried to be getting three people onto the show for quite some time and we got them all recorded in a short amount of time and so we were able to produce the episodes and stretch them out in front of us which we have literally never done and so i've got like (laughs) episodes pro uh programmed to go live far in the future for me and that's a lovely feeling and um the twitch while not growing as fast as i would like it to it's still forcing me to stay on a schedule that i've never kept to before in podcasting so i think if anything, I'm consistent now, and I'm very happy about that. And lastly, well, um, I, I won't go into details because I know we don't want to talk about anything that's wretched and on fire right now. But uh, <laughs> after some news last week, both my husband and I had pretty bad insomnia. And so I, for the first time probably ever, I actually took that moment to write something funny and irreverent because I really wanted to cheer myself up. So like Saturday morning, I was up at five finishing up a, uh, the first part of a new awesome project. Awesome being the thing I want to do, not awesome being quality. Cause I don't know. Cause I'm just writing mm-hmm. it right now, but, uh, things are actually going okay for me right now. It's weird. I mean, that's how it should be, Murph. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the exception. That should be I the know. Rule. I know. I'm hoping to keep it up, and therefore it will be the rule and not the exception. We're going to start a trend of things going kind of okay. Yeah. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Matt? 
Uh, well, you know, I have I had a lot of the same things you did because we did a lot of the things you just talked about mm-hmm. together. But it was nice. Last week was a lot, man. Last week was a lot. I don't like, um, what do you call it, talking to people? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, Welcome to the show, Andrea. Well, yeah. no, I like Andrea. Andrea's cool. But no, it's just, it was a lot last week. We recorded multiple episodes of Ditch Diggers. I had all my usual, you know, I have a lot of meetings during the week for uh, video, the video game writing job. And then also I actually did my first uh, live reading in like five years last week. That's which right. Was How did that go? It went very well. It was part of the uh, the ephemera series. I believe I'm saying that correctly. Um, was invited on. Uh, very nice Canadian people. It was like sponsored by, you know, the Canadian for the arts. I forget the organization's name, but. Uh, it was really cool. We did it on, you know, we streamed it. Obviously, it wasn't like a live with an audience because that's not a thing that happens right now. But we streamed it, you know, on the YouTube. And, uh, yeah, I read from Savage Legion. And I only had to do 10 minutes, which was nice. It was one of the reasons I agreed to it. If it had been like a full-on, you know, we're going to give you an hour thing, I don't think I could have possibly handled it. But it was only 10 minutes. So I struggled through, and uh, it felt good. But it definitely was, it was anxiety-inducing. I don't like reading my own stuff like yeah. i can freeform in front of a crowd for hours endlessly and i'm fine but for some reason when i actually have to read aloud my own stuff to other people i have this huge disconnect with it so i don't know what that's about but i managed i don't think you could tell at least i hope you couldn't tell and i wore my pink palm tree shirt so it gave me confidence yes nice. awesome <clears throat> andrew how about you how's your how's your week in professionalism that's my week in professionalism then it was it was a, a kind of a rough week for me actually I had to do a lot in a fairly short time um, I'm in the middle of wrapping up the copy elements of an app for a TV show that I can't say anything about um, but it's oh. be really cool when it's out and I also did some outlines for some scripting that I probably can't say anything about either um, <laughs> which wound up being being uh, more more fun and easier to put together than I than I had thought they would be so that was exciting it was just a lot of little moving pieces had to come together last week and I, I managed it um, but I'm really really glad that I'm on the on the brink of you know, uh, functional unemployment, as, as as I like to call it, uh, where where I have less going on for a while. <laughs> well, and then I get to work on my own things, you know, and I haven't been able to do that for, for quite a while now, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, fortunately. because I don't get to work on my own things, but fortunately, because somebody else is paying me to do things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. one thing that's different about Andrea than a lot of people we have on the show is Andrea is, uh, tell me if I, 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 tell me if I get this wrong, but you do mm-hmm. a lot of marketing work that's like interactive game type design for upcoming media and you mm-hmm. can almost never talk about it until it's already either the marketing, the marketing thing is done if ever. So, like, I know, like, even like you and me talking as friends, you almost never talk about it. So it's like, I know you're like (laughs) super NDA woman and you work on like what sounds like the coolest stuff. And I don't even get to hear about it until it's either happening or over, which is, you know, I'm not frustrated about this at all. But, you know, really, (laughs) no, honestly, it's like it's it's I know you're so talented and you do such amazing stuff, but you're just so secret. Is that frustrating I, I for like you? To, I like to cultivate an air of mystery. You do very well. Yeah, can, can you yeah. tell us broadly how you do that? I want to get to your book too, but I, I'm fascinated by like your day-to-day other people pay you work. Um, You know what? It, it varies a lot depending on what kind of project it is. I have the kind of project right now that involves a huge team and hours of meetings every every week, sometimes every day. I've had... I've had um, multi-day workshops involving brainstorming together over, you know, Zoom or Google Meet or WebEx for, you know, six to eight hours a day, which is incredibly draining. Um, and I've in this this particular project, I've also been able to um, oversee the work of other writers. That was that was trippy um, because I'm sort of the copywriter on this, but that doesn't have anything necessarily to do with writing words it's it's like sort of the experience flow and and like 
story design, not that this has a story per se, it's not characters, but not story. Um, uh, but yeah, every every day is really different. This is the thing I've struggled with for, for years. I think we've talked about it before, Mer, where I, I really can't have a daily routine that sticks for any amount of time because... You know, I have a project, I work on it for two weeks or six weeks or six months, and then my life looks completely different the the day it's done, and the next project works in a completely different way. So that's how it goes. Yeah, that's that's frustrating. But uh, can you say overall, like, what, like, give me something in the past that you've worked on that you can talk about. Like, what do you do? What do I do? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well I mean, I know some of the projects she's worked on, but I don't know what I can say. So I'm asking you. Yeah, I think well, we're trying to get to is it are we talking about narrative work? Like what what exactly is the medium and the mode of what you're of what you're doing? I think that's what we're trying to get at. That's all different too. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of so um there was a, a straight up alternate reality game. I I come from alternate reality games originally and, and they're sort of my, my core expertise. Um, I did one for, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember the name of the game anymore. It was Waking Titan for the space exploration game by Hello Games. No Man's Sky. Thank you. No Man's Sky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and that was, that was a pretty intense alternate reality game, which, which was actually a, a bit of a difficult project in some ways because we wound up scrapping the story and starting over um with a brand new narrative uh several times in the process um and uh so yeah that that was you know designing designing a sort of a story structure what's happening behind the scenes writing pieces of content uh you know memos kinds of things websites that that would exist if that story were real and were really happening you know like QAnon and uh oh god <laughs> puzzles that went that that went a very different direction than i expected so like for some reason it comes up to me i think it was um was it harper's island that had the and then there were none aspect of it where people were dying one by one but that you like the, the alternate reality part was the newspaper that you could find and the website about mm-hmm. news on the island that kind of thing Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I do a lot of that kind of thing. Um, for um, for the show Sense8 a couple years back, um, we made just a, a really neat little sort of chat bot where you could talk to one of the characters on Facebook Messenger um, just, just for a little bit and have a, a sort of a, a video cut together for you, depending on what you said. Um, that was that was a really a really cool little project. I do I do a lot of a lot of things that are are basically taking the premise of a show or a movie and trying to make it feel real and tangible. Trying to create pieces as if it were a real thing. Um, and in fact, uh, I went even sort of the the extra mile for a project I cannot talk about for a TV show that was launching. Um, earlier this year, I, th- I think it, it, it did properly launch and everything. The, the coronavirus did not cancel the show. But um, we had a physical installation um, that, we, that we were building at, at South by Southwest where you could literally step into the world of the show and, and do all of these really amazing things and see all of these amazing objects. But South by Southwest was canceled. So yes. nobody oh, man. would ever see all of that work. That's such a cool thing. I uh, I used to do EPK work for studios, and I never the idea of doing something physical like that is just so uh, wild to me in such a cool way. Like you don't get to do that very often, so that's really that's really neat. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry it got canceled. It's so gratifying to see you know the the printed newspaper or oh, yeah. you know the fake oil painting or just to see these things become real. It's it's a really magical sort of thing to be able to do. Absolutely. I would have stolen all of that after it was done. Um, (laughs) To clarify, so when you say alternate reality, you're not necessarily talking about working on IPs or stories that are set in an alternate universe. You're talking about creating things in our world from the world of the IP that you're working on that people can access and and interact with. Yes. 
Yes, precisely. We're, we're taking the world that you live in and altering it to be a little more mysterious or magical or horrifying, depending on the nature of the project that you're working on. Absolutely. No, I, and I, I love working on stuff like that. And I love interacting with things like that for IPs that I really uh, enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I honestly, it's been so long since we were doing the show. I don't remember if we recovered, we covered this the last time you were here, but I just very briefly, I would love to talk about um, how you got into that for anybody interested in doing that kind of work. And then sort of what are the core principles or tenets of it that you can impart in doing that kind of work? I, you know, I was, um, I was a cloud maker, which in, in the alternate reality game space means I, I played the first sort of organized alternate reality game as such, the one for which the name alternate reality game was invented. And uh, I, I was one of the, the moderators for the huge, huge Yahoo group of people working together to sort of play this game or solve the series of puzzles or whatever you decide is the appropriate verb for interacting with this experience, this created experience. So uh, a couple of years after that, um, some of my some of my fellow moderators were starting up a company in the UK called Mind Candy. And uh, basically I badgered them until they hired me in. Uh, <laughs> and originally I wasn't, uh, I wasn't technically creative i was i was hired in as a sort of a, a project manager and right. a producer i guess you would call it now but um i i wound up doing quite a bit of writing i wrote for example the the newspaper for this game um the perplexity was the name of the game by the way um and we had uh, a newspaper that updated usually three times a week for two years the better part of two years it was live uh, and you know websites for characters that updated at least at least once a week for for most of the run and so on and so forth. Like there were a couple of hiatuses in there, like organizing live events and so on and so forth. So I, I benefited from being in the right place at the right time. However, if somebody else wanted to get into this sort of after me, um, what I recommend is the same as for regular video games. Actually, just like put together a team and start making stuff. Because the only way to get in, really, like, cause there's there's not a good training program for for alternate reality games. Like, there there are film programs you can get get through now that have transmedia elements to them, and so on and so forth. But hands on experience is really the best way to become good at this stuff. Study what came before, put together a team, make your own game, make another game, see how it goes, uh, and you you learn so much from doing it that you really couldn't substitute and then when you're done you have a portfolio so no absolutely it's, i think that's great advice and you know there's more i feel like the, the technology and the access and everything is so much better than it, it was even a, a couple of years ago at this point mm-hmm. but, you know you're you can you can do more of that but there's all there you know and, and, and we talk about this in the show like everybody's the way everybody breaks into anything in this industry, it's usually a individualistic yeah. thing and you know, not something that's applicable. And that, that, that idea of being in the right place at the right time is totally valid. But you also made the ask. You know, like you said, you badgered them until they hired them, basically. <laughs> and that's always a valid lesson to find in anything is, you know, eventually you're going to have to make the ask and it's something you should always do because all they can do is say no, you know. So I think there there is an applicable lesson in there. I should, um, I should also say... Um at the risk of being a supreme downer i have a lot of qualms about the alternate reality game form as it was originally done um because you know i made that crack about QAnon, but it's absolutely true that QAnon is using the same sorts of techniques as alternate reality games have always done in terms of um you know looking at information seeing hidden patterns in it, whether they were put there on purpose or not, a community coming together to try and decipher these things. And it just all feels a lot more dangerous to me now than it did originally when the internet was was younger and more innocent. So... I, no, I get... Yeah, I imagine that would take the shine off of it quite a bit. Yeah. 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 I keep thinking about how... Um, I don't know. I, for some reason, 2010 comes up to me, even though it wasn't the, 
is, is never the movie that people talk about, but it was the one that I saw when I was a kid and I'd never seen 2001, but so it was the 2010 mm-hmm. that really made its mark on me. And I remember just like this family, one, they had a dolphin in their house. They just like half, their, half their living room was like a pool. And, you know, they just walk through the living room and feed the dolphin. And, and then they start talking to their computer. And I'm thinking, that's so cool. Yay, future. And we've got that now. But I don't trust it because I can't trust them to just, mm-hmm. you know, for the computer to go, I'm going to take your information and think about it and answer your question. And your your words are not going to be stored anywhere where anybody will ever look through them to try to make decisions about either how to market to you or whether you're a criminal or whether you may become a criminal or, you know, it's like I I just thought it was mm-hmm. so pure and wonderful and neat. And then but in re- when it happens in reality, I'm like. Hell no, my Google Home is almost always on mute. And when it's not, I'm usually asking it how to reheat you uh, leftover rice because I can never remember. And my <laughs> hands are dirty. But uh, yeah, that's what I use my, my uh, Google Home for is mo- mostly cooking questions in the kitchen when my hands are all covered in s- some sort of goo. But um, this feels like a very vague question, Andrea, but I know you literally wrote the textbook on transmedia so i'm hoping you can um give us some sort of answer here because uh to, <laughs> what i feel like i'm being set up here <laughs> no no it's just it's one of those things where you know some people who do things well are not qualified to teach them apparently michael jordan was a very shitty basketball coach because he's mm-hmm. just like can't you just do what i did come on but but you wrote the textbook so the thing is, oh, okay, I'm basing it on uh, the new game that I'm obsessed with and my family or yeah, my family's obsessed with is Blaseball, which is a very strange, uh... it's a strange horror game. It's almost impossible to explain to anybody. It's basically a random number generator that tells you how baseball is happening in sort of an alternate universe. But ev- and the people, us, we can just watch it play out. And mm-hmm. you get attached to the funny names and the random number generator, and you suddenly get excited that this random number generator did, rolled a random number generator somewhere else and then apparently scored a home run. And But then, it's like at the end of the week, the people, us, vote on changes to the rules. And it, it's getting like more and more eldritch and scary and bizarre every single mm-hmm. week. But the thing is, this is about... I want to say nine weeks old. Yeah. And it like, so it, it, I think it hit really hit like at the end of the third week. And I'm looking at it going right now. There's a thing where we we're voting to bring back players who've been incinerated. <laughs> and uh, the way we vote to bring back the players who are incinerated is to throw peanuts at a cephalopod God who uh, said, if we give, peanuts to it it will bring back a certain number of players from the dead and i'm like i know this sounds ridiculous it really is a very hard thing to explain but the thing is i'm looking at the list of dead players and the peanuts that have been thrown to them and they're in the the tens of thousands and i know not every players it's i'm sorry Peanuts or dead players? Peanuts. Okay. Peanuts. So it's like somebody's throwing tens of thousands of dead players yet. No, no. I think we're in like thirty or forty dead players. But it's Mm -hmm. it's like so there are people. Not every. It's not just one peanut per person. But still, it's like that's a lot of people already Mm -hmm. obsessed with this thing, and it's a browser game with very little art, even. And the community has created. Uh, fan art, almost all of the lore about the game itself is fan created. And they've even said, anything you say about this player is probably true. Even if it's completely opposite what somebody else said. Just think about it in a different universe. I mean, they're very welcoming to the community. But why? <laughs> why is baseball successful? Yeah, um, I'm just saying, what think- what what is a game like that need to to hit and i know it's not an easy question or else we all would do it but i mean i think i think it's already it's already hit to to the extent that it's going to i'm thinking about things like kingdom of loathing where it's not going to be it's not going to be for everyone but the people who are into it are going to be really 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 into it um it, it shares a lot of like the deep lore kinds of things and 
um, minimal art, um, and just sort of as a, a sort of overall aesthetic of super weirdness. But I think I think the reason baseball is is hitting successfully right now is because it's even weirder than our present reality, and it's hard <laughs> to find that right now. True. Well, no, no, you know, it's no, it's, you're right. It's, no, it's I think nice it's really valid to, and a good to find point. something. It's nice to find something that's weird in a way that you can look at as cute and harmless and not what dangerous thing is going to going to happen from this now. Yeah. Like it's 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 remote weird. It's it's harmless weird. <laughs> I know, I think there's a huge lesson of that. I mean, my I I am of the opinion that everything we make in any medium we make it in, you know, creatively is is in some way reactive to the world around us, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think right now is a is an interesting time to be reacting to the world with creative works so i no, i, I think that's a totally valid point and i think there's a lot of truth in that and something i think creators trying to make things in the era that we're in can can learn from there i just wonder like the makers of blaze ball <laughs> i wonder what's in your head when you're putting something like that together you know are you are you trying to create a phenomenon kind of thing or are you just like this is a weird, interesting idea. Let's see if I can make this work. You know, are you thinking I'm, about the thing you're making? Or are you thinking about the audience you're making it for? Or are you thinking about both? It seems very organized and well thought out to me. So I would suspect that the, the team behind this is experienced and has a master plan. Um, yeah. This is, this is just my supposition. I, I know nothing about it, but it has a lot of the hallmarks of people who know what they're doing. For example, the rule book is already written it exists and there are a lot of things that are redacted yes which are are meant to be shown at a later time which is the hallmark of a really long-term game plan mm. um, like they they know what they're what they're planning on doing with baseball yeah they that's, they they, they the thing that gets me is i would love to interview them because they have like it sounds like a lot of the things that are happening now are player driven because <laughs> for example in and, and don't don't laugh at me, Matt, because this is all going to sound ridiculous again. But um, we had to to idolize a certain number of players, and if the players that again by just voting, but again, but the correct number of players had to be in the top three. The correct players rather had to be in the top three, or else the peanut god would get angry. And we did not put the correct players in the top three, and so the ones who were not the correct players got shelled, which means they were encased in a giant peanut. Now they can't play. So, um, we, we've discovered that, okay, the peanut god is angry, and we know who the peanut god needs in the top, but there's a really bad team out there, and they thought, what happens if you, you shell our entire pitching staff? Because then we can't play. What is right. going to happen to the game? And so they, they called it the sacrifice, and they asked the, the community as a whole, you need to vote our people... So they get shelled so we can see what happens next week when uh, we can't pitch because we got nothing to lose because they were a really shitty team. <laughs> and, and it worked. And we get to find out soon what happens when they have, we have a team whose entire pitching staff cannot play. And I'm thinking, how, what, like, were the devs freaking out about this? And after that happened, they uh, released one of the redacted parts of the rule book, which is the pitcher must throw the ball. And that's stupid. Why would you put that in a rule book? But it's like, but that directly reflects something back on what's going on now. And I'm just like, you guys planned this shit. Oh my God. <laughs> and well, there, there are two, there are two sort of, sort of ARG related concepts that I would like to, to share with you at this point. Um, one of them is it's like it's like we did it on purpose. Yes. There's there's a sort of an amazing phenomenon that happens um, with this sort of responsive game, where if you leave enough little little sort of sort of hooks for yourself in in the past, if you if you seed enough random things in in your in your start then later on you can look back over this canon of stuff that you left find something that looks like it it might serve the purpose you need right now and then use it yeah and 
and your audience will think that you meant to do it that way and had this planned exactly like that the whole time. Yeah. When you didn't, you just had a space that you were able to leverage toward whatever you needed at the moment. Um, but the, the other thing is, I, I actually have played, um, played, made a really responsive game like this that was entirely story driven by what the, the player base was doing. And that was uh, Map of the Floating City with Thomas Dolby. And it was it was one of the most joyful, fun storytelling experiences of, of my life because um, so uh, it was it was sort of a collection game. It was it was a browser based um, a game where you had a boat and you were trying to get to the North Pole. You had a tribe of other people in boats and you could trade items that you pulled as, as flotsam and jetsam from from the sea as you were trying to get to the North Pole. And uh, we, we had a, a, a sort of a, an event where you had... Oh, and I'm forgetting what, what exactly the object is. You, you had some sort of, some sort of item... Um, I, I think it was it was like let's say it was a, a, a water bug or whatever. And when you when you pulled it out of the ocean, um, you had you had a chance of getting that one. There were there were rare things and common things, right? Like like collectible mm-hmm. cards. So, in fact, I'm gonna look it up and see what it was. I'm gonna look it up. Was it a moth? I'm looking at your it- web. Looking at your website it right was. now. Okay. It was the moth. Okay. So it <laughs> turns out the moth was really, really common. And so uh, people started making cracks about how they had more moths than they thought they did. And they were looking in their holds. Were they, were they uh, you know, breeding overnight, et cetera, et cetera. And we went, the, the dev team went, I, I asked our, our, um, our developer, could we do that? Could we make the moths reproduce? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I asked Thomas Dolby, is it okay if we if we if we do this? If we if we have the moths reproduce? He's like, <laughs> yeah, sure. So we we set up just a little bit of code where if you had two or more moths, then every it was like every four hours or something, you would get another moth. And it, it took them it took them a few cycles to notice. I think it was 16 or so before, before they caught on and they flipped out. And it was, it was one of the most sort of popular moments in the game. There was a whole sort of story cycle after that, where the moths were overcrowding their inventory. They were, they were creating like moth plague ships, which were oh my God. <laughs> dead accounts just to offload moths to, um, to get rid of the, all of the items in their hold, and uh, and then we created like a moth a moth uh, illness, and the moth started dying off, and they became like endangered and scarce and rare. <laughs> it, was, it was this whole thing, um, and and all of it just because we listened to the players and what they were what they were speculating on, and went, you know what, that could be cool. Let's do that. So you got to think That's on your feet. That's what's so wild to me. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what's so wild to me about creating with technology like that is something that. Like, if you put that in, like, a prose context or a fiction context, like writing a novel, you know, you write the moths reproduce. That's, like, nothing, right? Mm-hmm. But in that context, that idea of, like, what can we do with this and what will people do with the people who are interacting with it? What will they do with this simple concept if we're able to enact it and it just becomes this whole thing? That experiential kind of storytelling mm-hmm. experience is just so unique to itself and so cool in that way to me. And it's really fun as a as a creator. It's amazing, amazing fun to get to do that. It's it's really like nothing else. It's just that uh, creating a game like that creates a tremendous uh, strain on your stamina, your energy, everything. Course, and it's yeah. hard. It's hard to to make that sort of game and do literally anything else in your life. Yeah. Right, because it's not something you, you know, again, like going back to the analogy of like writing fiction, it's not something you write and then just drop. Like that's something mm-hmm. that requires maintenance, you know, it's something yeah. that requires an ongoing relationship and an ongoing conversation. Like, uh, yeah, that is incredibly taxing to, to, to go mm-hmm. through. Yeah. And definitely something to be prepared for if you're if you're coming into that kind of thing as a writer and you haven't experienced that before, for sure. Yeah. But then and you do for... have to be careful what you what you pay attention to. See, I'm sorry, I could talk about this for freaking ever. Yeah, um, I, you have I... to be careful what you pay attention to because uh, there's there's a proverb in 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 our circle that uh, Hamlet isn't a better play if you let people vote on the ending. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 
Yeah. No, so I can. You I have can, to. We... Cut. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I'm done. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say I really I find this endlessly fascinating. We could talk about it all day, but we just have other things that we have we need and I want to get to in our sadly limited time together. Yes, but before that, awesome we, book. Uh, yes, that's what I was gonna say. I wanted to see if you had any more questions about any of this stuff before we moved on to the other things. The other things. Uh, I don't. I just. I just always am amazed the fact that I talk to Andrea almost every day, but we talk about life stuff. And then every time I talk to her on a business level, I'm just like, "What? I should just like pepper you with questions all the time because this is fascinating. <laughs> Why don't we talk about this when we're just chatting? But we don't. Oh, but uh, it's possibly because we're friends, and you know, I care about your life and stuff. But really, I would love to talk about this. <laughs> no, you both contain multitudes. I think that's really the lesson of this conversation. But uh, you know what I want to talk about, Mer? What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about America. That's what I want to talk about on this podcast. America, but not Inc. America, the country, right? That's <laughs> fucking depressing conversation. Yeah. I want to talk about America Inc., which is a novel Andrea has written and published herself, and that's True what I would. Story. Yeah. So, Andrea, first, could you start off and just tell us about America Inc., like what it is and what it's about, and we will go from there. America Inc. is a novel about a corporation running for president, and the corporation are the good guys in this particular context. Um, I wrote a novel, not a novel, a novelette called The Revolution Brought to You by Nike uh, a couple years back. In fact, I wrote it in February of 2017 for no particular reason. Uh, that, that wound up being um, really quite powerful and and popular. Uh, people people really 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 responded to it, and so I thought, hey, you know what? I'll I'll take some of this and and write a novel along these same sort of themes and lines. So uh, the novel America Inc. starts where the novelette, The Revolution, brought to you by Nike ends roughly the the first chapter of the book is the last couple of scenes of the the novel and then it, and then it goes from there and there are sort of more and different characters in a different sort of context and so on and so forth like you do um but yeah that's that's what it is and this is something that you you've author published you've, you've self-released this one and uh, I did. yeah I did. The story The story of this novel is that um, the last little bit took me much longer to write than, than it really should have because, you know, the world is on fire and everything mm -hmm. is horrible forever. Oh. And uh, so by the time that my agent was able to send it out to market, it was already really close to the, the, the deadline for being able to get it to market on time because this is a book that absolutely had to be published by, you know, July or August of, of this year. Uh, because it's an election book and right. it's an election year. And if we were to publish it next February or March, nobody would care anymore. So uh, basically, so we, we sent it out a little late and um, we got some, some early rejections. And then we had a lot of people that were still looking at it, but they were looking at it and they were looking at it. And it was taking a while. So I, I thought, you know what, I may as well just pull it from the people who are still considering it and self-pub because that's the only way this thing is going to get in front of an audience in time for it to matter at all. And it has been both really great and really horrible. <laughs> okay. First of all, just, just on the on the creative side of things, I think it's a brilliant premise for a book and a timely one. And I'm a fan of your stuff anyway, so I definitely encourage people to check it out. Yes. Uh, but on the yeah. on the creative, uh, not not in the hell am I saying? Words. Use your words, Matt. On the <laughs> professional side of things, one of the things that's been really fascinating to me watching you release this is the transparency that you've been bringing to the process of both releasing it and the aftermath of releasing it and selling it and sharing with people your numbers and your perspective on all of those things. And was that, first of all, was that an intentional thing you decided you were gonna do before um, you released the book or is it something that evolved you know, in the in the process of putting it out and seeing the reaction to it? Oh yeah, absolutely, I've done it, I've done it before. Um, my past indie stuff has mostly started with a Kickstarter and then I go on to do, um, you know, whatever else, put it up on, on Amazon and so on. 
um, just just to see if I can get some additional sales out of it. Um, and I, I was I was absolutely um, disclosing all of my sales numbers with um, like Lucy Smokehart and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I, I just I feel like I'm not in a position where it matters if if I look bad because historically the fiction that I write on my own is kind of for funsies and not to pay the mortgage if you, right. if you catch my drift. So I can afford for people to think that I'm a sucky author where I, I don't have this sort of image that I need to put out of, of success and, and amazingness um, that someone else might need to. But I also feel sort of an, an ethical obligation to tell other people who might be considering doing the same things as me what it's really like and what normal sales numbers really can be like even in someone who has you know an overall pretty pretty successful career my self-pub stuff has done kind of middling middling to poorly i would say um and it's because i'm really lousy at marketing basically um I, I should say, uh, in the case of America Inc., I, I have not earned out production costs um, by a by a pretty big margin. I have a whole blog post about it. I may update it in a little bit, but we'll see. Um, but the the one thing that struck me with with America Inc. in particular is I know absolutely without a doubt that it's a really good book. And right. I can say this. I can say this not because I'm full of myself, but because um, I, I have really stunningly good reviews. I have not yet received not a five-star review on Amazon. And my Goodreads uh, average is like 4.82, I think, for this book. Um, but also the people that, that I'm, I'm, you know, friends with who have re- who've read the book. Uh, I'm talking about people like, you know, my mother-in-law or, you know, the people at my temple who, who are just sort of friendly with me. They read the book. And then they come to me and say, Andrea, I really loved your book. They're surprised. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think if they were if they were lying and saying it to make me feel good, then probably they wouldn't sound surprised. It was a really <laughs> good book. If you know what I mean. No, I, that's the thing. Is I absolutely do know what you mean, and those are all inc- incredibly valid metrics. It's so fucked up. It's almost like the cult, the culture of writing, particularly the culture of writing fiction, particularly the culture of writing genre fiction. I'll even go that far. It's almost a sin for for an author to say, you know what, I wrote a good book. Like yeah. that's like a bad thing. It's somehow egotistical or arrogant, mm-hmm. and that's such horseshit. Like you should believe. In what you did, and you should, you know, there is a point where it can edge into ego and arrogance. But just to say, you know, I think I wrote a pretty good book, and I, I think it, I think it could sell better than it than it has been. Mm-hmm. And what I think people don't understand is like, no one is more hyper aware of like our, our perceptions of our work being good or bad than authors themselves. And having written many books myself, that I feel, you know, their performance was middling. You almost want the reactions you have to them to be shitty in a way. Because at yeah. least you could point to that and say, well, people just didn't like it. You know, it, it would almost make you feel better about poor sales if the people who read the book were like, oh, this is trash. I just didn't like it. It's almost yeah. more frustrating in a way for a bunch of people to go, no, we really, we, everybody who's read it, like, really loves the book. And then that, because that leaves you wondering, well, if the people who read it liked it, then why isn't it doing better? Yeah. You know? Exactly. It, yeah. And it's, it's, it's proof. I've been I've been saying for years that we have this myth on the internet that the cream rises to the top. Yeah. And right. that... And that we hear about all of the best things because word of them spreads. And that's not actually true, unfortunately. And there are a lot of really wonderful things that nobody ever sees because the people behind them don't know how to adequately promote them, I guess, or get them in front of the right eyes to to get a conversation started or, you know, pierce the zeitgeisty bubble. It's 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 hard. It's complicated. And uh, I guess the moral of the story is you can write a good book and still not actually make any money. It turns out who knew, who knew? <laughs> well, Matt and I knew. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's we knew. That's absolutely. Yeah. That it's just, everybody wants to make it one thing or the other. You know, they want it, they want it to either be the cream rises to the top. Like you said, 
And the truth is, all of these things happen. Really brilliant books become really successful. Really shitty books become really successful. You know, mm-hmm. really brilliant books are left, you know, out in the cold a lot of the time. Like, all of these things happen. And it just depends. And a lot of it, as you said, comes down to the marketing and the promotion of that book. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people right now with everything going on with, you know, J.K. Rowling are reexamining sort of like the Harry Potter marketing and that idea that the perception has changed over time that like this is just a really amazing book and it was rejected by 12 publishers and then somebody took a chance on it and like because mm-hmm. it was so good it rose to the top. Forgetting that one, like 12 rejections really isn't that much. No. I get more rejections than that on books <laughs> that I sell, you know. And secondly, people forget how well and how effectively that original book was marketed and how much that had to do with its initial success and building mm-hmm. that sort of base for it to become a phenomenon. You know, it's that shit is so important. And one of the things I've really been enjoying, I don't want to say enjoy, I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm watching your book not perform well and enjoying it. That's not what I'm saying. Yes, no, one thank, of the you. Aspects, thank you. <laughs> one of the aspects I appreciate about the transparency of the process is you talking about your own marketing and where you feel it's fallen a little flat and what you needed to do or need to do to, 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 to make it better. And I'd really like you to kind of talk about why you feel the book is performing the way it is and sort of the marketing of it and, you know, where the kind of holes in that were. Well, so the, the big thing that's, that's different now. So uh, to, to back up when I, when I kickstarted Lucy Smokeheart, that made about $8,000, um, which is, really a fantastic amount of of money for someone you know I was I was much earlier in my career uh people really didn't have much of a reason to believe in me but I said hey I want to tell a really goofy pirate story so help me out and it was enough to pay for production costs it was enough to pay for a lot of art it was it was really really great um and then I've done a couple of other kickstarters over the years and they definitely always cover production costs because one of the one of the things kickstarter does for you is it creates a sort of a sense of of false urgency like the thing isn't going to exist if it isn't backed and there's a time limit you're not going to be able to to get it if you don't get it right then um and when you just sort of throw something up on KDP you don't have that sense of false urgency anymore. So people can intend to buy your book and want to buy your book and then not buy your book because it's still going to be there next month or the right. month after or the month after. I mean, I think we all have books that we've been intending to buy that we haven't actually bought sort of sort of knocking around, right? Oh, absolutely, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so basically that that sort of that that compression of time and urgency it turns out sells books really well and the the other thing is um i've compressed my social media presence a lot from from what i had used to to have i i blog a lot less than i used to i tweet a lot less than i used to i'm not on facebook at all anymore for ideological reasons um like like you do and uh so that that really hampered my my reach because I I just don't have the active audience listening for updates from me in the way that I used to. Right. Um, and you know it's it's all it's all my own fault. I, there are other things that I could have done more and better. Um, but you know, times being what they are, I have a limited amount of energy reserve, and I've been deciding what I did and didn't want to spend time on, or what I did or didn't have the, the spoons to do, basically. And uh, book marketing is hard. No, it absolutely is. And that's, it's, you know, it's something we, we've talked about on the show before, like, it's something that comes up a lot, because marketing and promotion of one's work comes up a lot. And that's, mm-hmm. you do have to decide, like, how much of me is worth putting into this and how much am I willing to do that? And the, the idea that, you know, you have to be all things to all projects all the time, you know, it's just not true. Yeah. So, and the the guilt in the associated guilt that comes with that, like the false guilt of it, like I didn't do enough or I should have done more or, you know, all of these things. When the fact is like, you probably did do as much as you could do, you know, without like burning Mm -hmm. yourself out or causing serious emotional damage, you know? I did dabble in in Amazon advertising to see what it did, and I spent fifteen dollars and eighty six cents, and I made fourteen dollars and ninety seven cents. So that that's a wash, basically. I feel like it's a great microcosm of that whole segment of doing things. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, no. it, that's, that's how it is, right? Yeah, but I mean, again, like, we'll, you know, we can bring other authors on the show who could talk about complete, having completely different experiences with the same thing. And just, you, you never know. And this is such a variable process. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think you, you have to find what works for you and what works for your work and also what you're trying to accomplish. Like, as you covered, you know, you, you write, you enjoy writing these books, you enjoy publishing things, but they aren't, you, they aren't your main revenue stream by any means. So the mm -hmm. pressure on them isn't what it might be for other people, you know, so it's a, it's a different well, experience for you than it will be for somebody else. There, there is still the sort of the, the emotional strain when you know you've written a really good book and you still can't get people to pay attention. I have, I have another book that I want to write um, starting as soon as the, the client projects I'm working on wind down, uh, which is always when I'm going to write a book and then another client project comes in as soon as I commit. It's, it's uncanny. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I, I do have another book that I that I want that I want to write. I'm really excited about it. But I, I also do have this feeling now of if I write this other book and it still doesn't go, like is that is that it for me? Is that when I should decide that this is not meant to be, or should I persist and write another, you know, seven books that that may may not hit either? I just don't know how you calculate that. No, and I think you just made every author listening to this pee a little by by saying all that out loud because i think that's what everybody, <laughs> everybody who hasn't hit you know that's what we're all i'm certainly thinking that i'm thinking like at what point you know in doing this do you, do you start to think well maybe this just isn't going to work out and it's mm -hmm. you know you spend when you're when you're author and you're you're in your kind of author infancy and you're just trying to like sell that first book or make that first sale you know, that, that's such a different reality than when you sold a few books and you're you kind of in the process. Like now, like now it's like the process has started. Once you sell that first book, you are an author who sells books like you've entered this kind of new sphere of things. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean anything. You still have to keep going and keep moving forward and keep selling books. And those books have to keep selling. So just the reality of that is never ending. And it can be a lot if you're someone who hasn't, you know, hit bestseller lists and you're just you're still trying to try to grind it out. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I, I always tell people that you have, like, the only way you lose is if you stop. And I do believe that yeah. in principle. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, I believe that if you statistically speaking, Statistically speaking, it's not going to work out for most of us. But right. you, have to, you have to find a way to be okay with that. Yeah, and, you know, you have to also learn there are, there are different levels of success. And it may be less a, less a thing of stopping writing and stopping publishing more than, like, reassessing what, you know, success is to you with that you know mm -hmm. you may have to accept all right i may never be a bestseller with this i never i may never hit the goals of success that i set for myself writing novels doesn't mean that there isn't an audience there it doesn't mean that people don't enjoy your work you just have to decide if it's still worth the investment of time and energy for you to do what you're doing you know so perception i think i think is a big part of it as well yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to bring it up because in case anybody else is wondering. Um, excuse me. I... Sorry, I had to have some tea because my throat was closing up. It's fun. No. Um, so I, I think people would be asking if you're uh, like your day job is writing all this transmedia to uh promote other things which is in essentially marketing but you're don't feel like you're marketing your own books but if you tried to put the energy into the a marketing thing that you do your your paying job not day job whatever you, what do you mm -hmm. want to call no, it no i i get you yeah but <laughs> that that that's like another book's worth of energy isn't it yeah probably yeah yeah it's 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 exactly it's exactly that that much if not more it's it's frankly restful to write a book compared to doing all of this other stuff um, <laughs> because there aren't any there aren't any meetings the, the deadlines are are mostly self-imposed and when they aren't they're relatively generous nobody is uh nobody is is calling me at 10 30 and saying that they need something by noon before the meeting you know Oh God! So, uh, but but also, um, yeah, I I've had this sort of question before. Why don't I make make sort of alternate reality games around my my own indie stuff? And and there are a lot of reasons. One of them is because the the cost, like the actual money dollars cost of creating something like that, 
would be much higher than I could probably recoup from from the book. Um, or the time cost would be exactly as much as or more than writing another book, um, the one or the other, or possibly both at the same time, unfortunately. So it's it's not really a, a winning strategy. Yeah. No, there are, there are business reasons for it, and those are good reasons. You know, you mm-hmm. have to calculate things like how much money and how much time am I putting in this versus what I'm going to get back, or just how much money and time do I have to spend on everything I do, and is it even feasible to try to do that? You know, and if the answer is no to either of those questions, then it just doesn't make sense to do it, and that's that's perfectly valid. Yeah. 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 Well, I would I would love to keep pressing all this because there's so many. Again, we keep saying this with every guest we have on lately, but we're going to have to have you back, Andrew, to talk about more things. And I feel like I should apologize because I'm usually an incredibly sunny optimist and you caught me on an off day. So, <laughs> I mean, yes, but what perpetual but, off day. It's not just you. But You're one funny. thing about this show is we tell the truth. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to, it's, it's, I always, I sometimes wonder if anybody's going to call me a hypocrite because my other show is just, come on, little author, you can do it. And this show's like, you better fucking do it or you're not going to get paid. And maybe even not then. But, um, (laughs) it's just different. It's different, different statements for different parts of the career. But we we, we try to have guests of, you know, every stripe on the show or at varying levels and do different things. But the thing is, I I don't want to listen to a show about, the business side of writing that is just all incredibly successful people in the upper 1% of their industry. Cause there's nothing mm-hmm. to learn from that, to be honest with you. Like most yeah. of those lessons are not applicable. I want to talk to people who are in the grind and are still actually having to work to yeah. make things up. <laughs> like it's, that's the point of what we do. So no, and, and Andrea, you've been a very valuable guest today and I appreciate it. You always are. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, we need to start wrapping up here because Andrea has a meeting. I have meetings. We all have meetings. We're very, we're very busy and important people. I'm streaming. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm busy and important. You are. You're. God Which is like a meeting. It's like a meeting. Yes. Yes. It is like a meeting. So, <laughs> so we need to enter what I always call the uh, patented end of episode shilling. And I'd like Andrea to kick us off with that. Andrea, where can we find your things online, particularly America Inc. Because people need to be checking America Inc. out. Just Boy, howdy. Out. You can find America Inc. only on Amazon because, I don't know, reasons. I may move it to other platforms as well in another month or so. We'll see. Uh, Yay, Amazon exclusivity, period. Um, And then you can find me on on Twitter at A-N-D-R-H-I-A. And you can find my website at andreaphillips.com. Just don't yell at me because I don't blog much anywhere. Sorry. You have to apologize. You don't always. Really <laughs> and we'll have those in the show notes. Um, you can find me at uh, murverse.com where you can also find the uh, information on how to subscribe to this podcast and the beautiful show notes that Matt writes up. And um, I am, as I said, streaming right now on Twitch, twitch.tv slash mightymur. And I do an AMA on Mondays. Uh, I should be writing on Tuesdays and Thursdays and gaming on Thursdays and Sundays. So uh, if you want to see me yell at games, that's when I do it. And when you see me go, come on, little writer, you can do it. That's when I do that. <laughs> Murray yells at games is such a great title. And you should utilize <laughs> that more in my in my expert marketing opinion. I think actually I need to yell at games more. But, you know, Twitch is full of people yelling at games. And I think it has enough. I mean, that's fair. You know, you want to be bringing something new yeah. to the stew, the stew of Twitch. Ew. <laughs> Sorry, that's just really Do, you, do your shilling, Matt. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm on the Twitters at Matt Evan Wallace, on the webs at matt-wallace.com, on the YouTube, uh, my channel Angry Writer, and uh, I have books, Mur. I do, do you? Books. You did I a book. I did book, serially. I have my debut epic fantasy novel, Savage Legion, out right now greatest fucking book ever written mm-hmm. i have that on on authority from my mother so go check that out <laughs> and then also my debut middle grade novel bump uh which i'm very proud of and very excited about that's coming out in january of next year but you can pre-order that right now in many forms for the children in your life or inside of you and you should do that i, I I'm, a- I'm trying to figure out who your uh your 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 target is there pregnant women or people who are eating children but um 
I knew you were going to see as soon as I said that. I was going to tack that onto that. Like, I was going to make a joke out of it. But in my head, I'm like, you know, for once, I'm going to be classy. I'm just going to let the thing stand. And I'm, I'm not going to words out of it. And, and then you ruined be... the whole fucking thing. You made it. You made it weird, Mer. You made it weird. I can edit this out, you know. No. Let's make it weird. <laughs> let it be weird, man. It's 2020. It's the time. Yeah. The time. Embrace it. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Andrea. And thank you for uh, uh, answering all of our strange questions and going off on many different roads. <laughs> thank you for having me. You can support us at patreon.com slash mightymur. Ditch Diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com.